In 2016, especially, news reporters began to consciously divide and radicalize audiences. The cover was that we were merely calling out our divisive new president, Donald Trump. But from where I sat, the new press was now working in collaboration with Trump, acting in his simplistic mirror image, creating a caricatured oppositional demographic and feeding it content. As Trump rode to the White House, we rode to massive profits. The only losers were the American people, who are now more seeped in hate than ever. Those were a few lines from Matt Taibbi's new book, Hate, Inc., Why Today's Media Makes Us Despise One Another. I am almost done with the book, and I fucking love it. So I am now recommending it to you. Hate, Inc. by Matt Taibbi. If you want to understand today's media landscape and become more literate in how to read news stories and how the news um, slants and um, radicalizes its audiences, um, check out Hate, Inc. I think that Matt Taibbi is one of the best journalists out there. Uh, And I had a chance to interview him uh, ways back. So if you're interested in that interview... um, scroll into the archives. One of my other favorite uh, journalists is the one that you're about to hear from, Abby Martin. Abby is an investigative journalist. She is the founder of Media Roots. She was a former host on RT, and she calls out bullshit with an incendiary style. Um, She's also been a major help in the Motherfucker Awards. She was a presenter both in the first and second year. She helped us with research and uh, is really just an awesome person. Um, She's just a few years older than me and is um, just very, uh, how do I describe Abby? Super smart, um, super motivated. I think a lot uh, goofier uh, than most people know you know, because she's usually talking about these very intense, dark issues. She just came out with a new documentary with her her partner, Mike Preisner, um, which is called Gaza Fights for Freedom, which is uh, a, v- a very illuminating documentary on Gaza's fight for freedom. Um, I think that everyone should check it out. But it's also dark, you know. it's, it's She's into intense stuff, but... Um, Abby is someone who I consider a friend. She's got a great sense of humor. And, um, I was happy that during this conversation, we're able to, I don't know, keep it a little bit lighter than normal. We both, um, dip our toes into the conspiracy world quite often. We taught, and that was the theme of this conversation more or less. My mom and my stepdad are deep into the conspiracy realm. Um, and as is, uh, much of Abby's audience and fan group. So we uh, talked about how to navigate truth from fiction and the rise of conspiracy in today's media, spilling out into the mainstream, where now you have guys like Alex Jones uh, visiting the White House. I enjoyed the conversation, um, and I hope that you do too. Before we get going, I want to let you know that we have swag on MotherfuckerAwards.com. So if you want some clean canteen coffee mugs, if you want some Patagonia MOFAs collaboration branded t-shirts or hats, um, Chico bags, MOFA branded respect your mother bags, it's all up on MotherfuckerAwards.com. 
I just released a new formatted episode, uh, Check with Kyle, episode one, where I told a story of going through Morocco with Radiolab-style audio from the field. And thank you, everyone who's provided feedback on that episode. It's been so great. It was a fun experiment for me, and to see that all of you really enjoyed it uh, makes me feel good. I've also been rocking on these Friday newsletters where I tell a short story that will hopefully put a smile on your face. Um, And you guys have been giving me good feedback on that as well. So um, if you want to sign up for the newsletter, head over to kyle.surf just once a week, a short story from me, directly sent to your inbox. Um, That's also where you can donate on Patreon. You can also just scroll down wherever you're listening right now, and I include it in the show notes. But uh, thank you to everyone who donates on Patreon. Um, It really does help keep the show going, and just a few bucks a month makes a big difference. Uh, And also, as always, thank you to our one and only sponsor, Santa Cruz Medicinals. You guys are just the best. Santa Cruz Medicinals makes potent CBD products, um, everything from coconut oil to pain cream to a nootropic to a... uh, a tincture, which I dare say is my favorite. I take three drops of their tincture before I go to sleep, and it helps me with muscle soreness. It helps me go into deep sleep, and uh, it's very helpful for the amount that I travel when I'm trying to get back on my sleep schedule. Santa Cruz Medicinals CBD tincture is does the job. So you can head over to scmedicinals.com, type in the code name KYLE10, get 10% off. See if you like it. Um, and... I think that's it for now. Um, Life is good. I got some hunts coming up. I've got some good interviews coming up. I'm getting back into the swing of things. I've been traveling. Traveling's, it's great and it's romanticized because it's hard to get much done when you're on the road. And I've really been enjoying getting back into a routine. I'm going to record this intro, then I'm going to go do a CrossFit workout and get fucking swole. And it feels good. I love having the podcast and uh, love delivering these interviews to you. And with that, please welcome my guest, investigative journalist, Abby Martin. And I hope you like this new intro. Boom. going on this big tour for the movie um utah and arizona are just insane really you know oh my god yeah and it's kind of the same feeling that like every 50 miles there's just another state park or national wonder and you're like what the hell like these pink sand dunes in utah that were just the sand was so fine it just felt like you were laying on beds of silk you know, just like waving around. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And it's just the, the color of those pillows, like bright coral pink, beautiful, you know? And there's just no one there. Like next time I want to go and I want to ride like the fucking go-karts or whatever, like the sand, what are they called? Little The sand buggies. Sand buggies. Yeah. Little dune buggies. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and in that area, is it also where they have those big mountains, the big uh, like... What, what do you like in Forrest Gump, you know, when he's running mm-hmm. and there's that scene where it's it's like the mountain with the horizontal top. Yep. Are those yep. in Utah as yeah, well? Yeah. No, Utah has the, um, the most amazing shit. I mean, Zion National Park literally looks like wedding cake mountains, you know, with like frosting on top. 
It's insane. It's the coolest mountainscapes I've ever seen. Um, when Mike and I were traveling there a couple of years ago, I was just like, what is that mountain? We need to go there. We need to like go there now. And then, you know, ever since then, I'm just like, we need to go back to that mountain, man, <laughs> that, that wedding cake mountain. Right. So it was beautiful to see it again. Um, and I think it's near where the wave is. You've probably seen this on like screensavers, like the really crazy carved out, uh, landscape that just wind and, and water has carved out this beautiful area but um you have to get like a lottery from the blm and shit to, to go hike there it's an eight mile hike and people like die every year because it's really crazy but that's my dream to go to the they, wave they get all those cramps they, they need get some, those cramps gotta they get, need those. Some, they get some must get some <laughs> get some heinz <laughs> <laughs> exactly. i said mustard not ketchup you asshole <laughs> the, your last words no <laughs> not heinz <laughs> yeah uh, man that was nuts i mean you have you been to lake powell and um the Grand Staircase? No. I, I've, I've heard of the Grand Staircase, but no, I've never been there. Yeah, there's like purple mountains that, you know, you can almost like see the sedimentary layers of just like eons of time. The whole thing, the Grand Staircase is from Bryce Canyon in Utah to the Grand Canyon. And so the whole thing is like carved out layers of, of time, essentially. And it has, you know, all the dinosaur bones and stuff that were compacted. That's such Earth a good way apart. to put it. Is really compacted cool. layers yeah. of time. <laughs> yes. Well, being out in the wilderness gives you this honest reflection of yourself in relationship, not just to the world as it is now, but as it has been for thousands of years, mm-hmm. which I think is a very um, kind of pleasant and peaceful realization to have that like, wow, there have been so many people before me mm. and so so much time before me and it's it, it's all okay a little bit like i i find that uh it really helps with psychological distress yeah just to slow down yeah you know, slow down and, and get take stock of where you are and what came before you and appreciate who you are you know and, and not just live in this constant state of stress and oh my god i need to do this i need to do that i mean you're out there in the middle of nowhere and you're like this is this is unbelievable this is unbelievable. And you see like this, just this one little cabin, like on the, you know, on the face of this giant mountain. And you're like, that dude's figured it all out. Yeah. <laughs> is that Chris Ryan? <laughs> God damn it. Exactly. And, he's got and it his, is. His, yeah. And, and he's it got was. His, his, his turbo electric bike <laughs> and his faded Patagonia shirt. Um, yeah. Did you, um, what, what college did you go to again? San Diego State. And did you study journalism there? A uh, poli sci in Spanish, actually. And when did you take the plunge into journalism? Realizing through the Iraq War and through the Bush administration that the media was complicit in selling the war and also this kind of bipartisan push for war from the Democratic establishment that I was really confused by. And speaking of gatekeepers, I mean, Nancy Pelosi is kind of still playing the same role, you know, God, God knows how many years later, 16 years later, but back in 2003 and 2004, I was like, Bush is a, a mass torturer, a war criminal, mass murderer, responsible for a million plus Iraqis dead. Why are we not impeaching him? Why are we not prosecuting him at The Hague and Cheney and Rumsfeld and, and all these people? And Nancy Pelosi just said impeachments off the table, was laughing at Dennis Kucinich, who was introducing these articles of impeachment. And I realized that there was some really corrupt kind of core of the system that permeated far beyond just the Republicans. And 
then I looked at the media aspect because I was initially an anti-war activist and trying to get involved in like human rights organizations and exposing these atrocities that were being perpetrated by our government. And I realized that there was just no media apparatus to tell the story and that it was just completely censored. And then you get into the whole understanding of the media control, media consolidation from the very same corporations that profit off of the military industrial complex, which of course brings us back to the motherfucker awards, you know, talking about issues in a way that you're not going to get through the corporate media. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how it all brought me to media and knowing that I had to create my own media to tell the truth about the issues that I cared about. Was there a teacher that you had or a kind of mentor that helped you take it from an idea to doing it yourself? Yeah, I would say first taking sociology and philosophy courses. So to really reprogram your mind into a, a way of thinking that you never thought before. So understanding the effects of U.S. militarism, questioning my own preconceived notions of the world and how, you know, the dogmatic belief system that you grow up thinking. Um, and so I, there were a couple classes that really stuck with me in a concrete way that really shaped my entire career, I would say. Um, but sociology was one of them because I remember reading this book um, by Chalmers Johnson called Blowback, and one of the chapters was just about Okinawa. And it was just talking about what U.S. militarism has done to this one island in Japan. And there's like, I don't know, a dozen bases or something on this island, and it's just completely destroyed it in terms of environmentally, culturally, um, and the impunity that that reigns with U.S. militarism there. And I was just so shocked by it. And I thought, wow, if this is what's happening in this small center of the world, what is going on with the 900 bases that exist around the rest of the world? And so that kind of started my path. But I would say Project Censored, seeing Peter Phillips talk about media and talk about how media is, is used by the elites uh, to push an agenda that is not does not benefit humanity and you know we grow up thinking that the u.s is the beacon of journalism the for we worship the first amendment we have all these movies and americana is centered around journalism right i mean it seems like every other year there's this movie that heralds how much journalism means to us yeah um, the, the post mm -hmm. uh we had what was the one about the the catholic priests um pedophiles that, yeah. that came out. Yeah, even the, the torture report one that's out right. now kind of rewriting history and pretending like we have an honest press. Um, and so once you kind of, un, you know, re... Once you kind of understand the history of that and how, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what we've been told. I mean, that's basically everything about American society, right? American exceptionalism is really, we're exceptional in all the wrong ways. <laughs> so I think that comes along with the territory. But yeah, that, that's what made me get involved and start doing journalism was those mentors. Was there a first story that you remember doing? First story. I mean, I would say the Iraq War and trying to expose the torture and the atrocities being committed during the Iraq war was, was a big one. Um, and then, and then going to occupy wall street. I mean, that's a big leap. I mean, that's almost a decade. So it's, it's hard to remember. I mean, yeah, I think net neutrality, like I was doing basically the same thing that I did on RT in this proto fashion with this series called The Network with this woman whose dad owned DC Shoes. And she was like, here, my dad has all this money. Let's start this YouTube channel. Like when YouTube was really not a, a thing yet. 
Um, and we were doing the same stuff there. I was covering all the issues that I do now, like talking about who are these people in the administration, what kind of connections they have, how, what lobbying um, are they connected to. So yeah, just it, it's, it's hard to like pinpoint a first story, but always doing the same kind of work, I would say, since the beginning, which mm. is kind of cool. It is cool. Yeah. Um, do you, if you were to give yourself a piece of advice back then as a young journalist, what would you say to yourself? <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes. Um, and I think I was really arrogant. The younger that, you know, I look back at myself 10, 15 years ago and I would say, you don't have to say everything on camera and this kind of air of confidence, like, you know, everything, you have the answers to everything. Cause I certainly did not. And, um, I would have been a lot more careful about conclusively saying, you know, this is true. This is, this is the way it is because our experiences shape us so much and we learn things every day. And I know now that I know very little, <laughs> you know, and back then 15 years ago, I thought I knew everything and right. I thought I had it all figured out. The more, the more you learn, the less you know. <laughs> right. And so that, that's what I would tell myself is just relax and and figure it out a little bit more first before you kind of go on the record about so much. And it's hard now because I'm smeared relentlessly by the establishment and by, um, you know, like a lot of warmongering journalists and stuff like that who want to discredit my entire body of work. And they'll just say like, oh, she's a crazy conspiracy theorist because of what happened, what I said 15 years ago. So it's hard. You can't ever take that away. But what I can do is just say like, I'm, I, I'm a growing person and I, um, I understand that I made mistakes in the past, but that's a good way to put it right. as, as we are all yeah. growing people and yeah. figuring it out as we go. Right. Uh, you know, I, I actually feel a kind of uh, kinship with you in the way that um, my mom and my stepdad are very deep in the conspiracy world. And I am very grateful to them. Um, for people who don't know, my mom produced a documentary called Thrive that uh, goes very deep into the global banking elite and uh, the claims about new energy technologies that have been suppressed and um, even UFOs. So I grew up around a lot of very alternative ways of thinking. I mean, I had... like. Catherine Austin Fitz, the Undersecretary mm -hmm. of Housing and Urban Development for the first Bush administration, like over to our house many times for dinner, and she would talk about these dark budgets that the military was using for UFO research. And it, um, it then I was able to do homeschool uh, junior year and kind of dive deeper into some of um, this stuff that I was learning about. And so I'm forever grateful for them for exposing me to this alternative stuff because it it led me down the path of doing a documentary, uh, one of my first ones, about the banking system and the corruption within it um, and really using where we put our money as this lever for social activism. Mm -hmm. um, but then I, as I've continued to grow and continued to learn, I've I believe, and I, I say this to them all the time, that many of their beliefs are one trench too deep for me. Um, so it's been very, it's been difficult for me, and it's just, just been kind of a challenge of my life to navigate what is true and how I can take the best of something and how can I tell a story in a way that's going to be 
helpful. And, and it really all came down to like when I was doing the motherfucker awards, like picking these stories of institutional corruption, like how do I do it in a credible way? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, and I say all that because you, I think similarly have a lot of people, you know, who are in your world who are real conspiracy theorists. Um, and I guess the, the question is because you and I have both been in just kind of notice, like seen all these conspiracies for so long. How would you say the, the conspiracy movement has changed over the last 10 years? Is it different now than it was a decade ago? No, I think that's a brilliant point. And I appreciate you saying all that. I, I, I feel you, I feel your trajectory and the way that you're trying to navigate that world. Um, 10, 15 years ago, well, even beyond that, I mean, let's go back to like JFK and things like that. I mean, an actual deep state apparatus that is true, right? That does exist. And this is something that's continuous, that that doesn't fall from administration to administration. I mean, that is a true concept. And that historically has been a left critique of power. Um, and so what's fascinating today when you look at how conspiracy culture has kind of been hijacked by Alex Jones and beyond, like um, the Trump administration. I mean, for example, he knew how to tap into right-wing culture and make it almost a partisan thing where he's saying the deep state is liberal. The deep state, I mean, the deep state, even Steve Bannon will laugh at that idea and he's like, this is not the deep state. This is like a surface level. We know who these people are. These are intelligence agency operators who are just on TVs. Like that's not the deep state. These are people who are at the surface. Um, so that, that notion's pretty ridiculous, but nonetheless, I feel like the conspiracy movement has been hijacked by right-wing culture, has been made partisan when historically you can look back and say, no, conspiracies are very real, Um, I believe in a lot of conspiracies. I mean, I think that um, conspiracy theory and conspiracy theorist has been used as a pejorative to really shut down a lot of questioning. It's like calling Uh, someone a racist. Yeah. It just shuts everything down. Immediately. And now the word truther, you know, questioning the official story of 9-11, you are now seen as someone who says, you know, none of the shootings are real. I mean, it's just really absurd the level of... um, the prevention of just having a dialogue about these issues or asking questions about official narratives. And I mean, we're talking about a government and a quote unquote deep state that has been lying (laughs) to the public to manufacture consent for all types of things that we know benefit global capitalism for the last century. So yeah, we should be questioning things, but then there does come a line where things become ridiculous and very obvious um, that, you know, that I find really concerning. Like for example, the Sandy Hook thing. I mean, at what point do people just buy into everything that Alex Jones says with no critical thought, you know? And so that's what I saw, where I saw the conspiracy movement going. 15 years ago, I was questioning things that the government was telling me about the the pretense for why we're in this endless war. And then all of a sudden it became every mass shooting's a false flag, everything's a hoax, they're all crisis actors. And I was just like, what is going on here? I felt like I was so detached from reality and all the people that I was um, in contact with 20, 15 years ago were just, they just lost it. They lost kind of their footing on on what I found intriguing about these theories and alternative media stuff 
um, was actually just questioning what I thought was was valid to be questioning. And then all of a sudden it just became everything Alex Jones says is gospel. Um, and we should just automatically assume that everything's a hoax. And, and I found that really troubling. And so I've never really um, related to those, those people since. And I felt like the Trump era knew how to hone in on that distrust and made it about him where he pretended like he was fighting this sort of false notion of whatever he concocted as the deep state. And, um, you know, and, and a lot of people bought into it where I have arguments now where I just see this, these trends going online where people are literally in an, in a false reality where they think Trump is, a savior. He's fighting the establishment. It's like, no, Trump embodies the establishment to the core. I mean, more so than we've ever seen, I think, any other president. Um, but he's somehow convinced people that um, everything that happens is some sort of 8D chess move, where chess move, where he's really um, going to take down, you know, Hillary Clinton and Podesta and all these like Democratic operators who he claims are the deep state. And it's fascinating. And then you have this countercurrent of something called QAnon. <laughs> Have you heard of QAnon? Oh, yeah. Where it's just insane. I mean, it's it's someone who pretends like they're some insider who's just kind of apologizing for everything Trump does and says, whether it be the arrest of Julian Assange, right? This is not really Trump doing it. This is the deep state trying to take Trump down and the impeachment is really taking Trump down. It's like, no, Trump is just that dumb where he actually committed a crime on, you know, on record. Like, that's how incompetent he is. But the QAnon thing, Trump... Trump um, gives cues to QAnon constantly. He he gives kind of winks and nods to this QAnon base. What and is so QAnon? QAnon is um, is like a counterintelligence thing on Reddit. It started on Reddit where it, it, some guy just claimed to be some insider in the Trump administration where he was like, this is what's really going on. Trump is really trying to arrest John Brennan and, and Hillary Clinton. All these arrests are coming and everything that's that Trump is doing is really part of this giant maneuvering on this big chessboard to take these people down and to really expose the deep state and, and everything. I mean, whether it be Jeffrey Epstein's arrest, people thought that that was some sort of QAnon thing. And you see a lot of people at Trump rallies having QAnon signs, wearing QAnon shirts. It is a huge movement that's burgeoning and people don't want to talk about it because it's too bizarre and scary. And especially like mainstream media just ignores it. And this, this to me is a really fascinating phenomenon that I think needs to be explored because it's something that's being used and utilized to embolden Trump and his base. And it's completely severed from what reality really is. Right. But how do we talk about it without, I think that a lot of journalists are afraid to talk about it because they don't want to give it more air. Mm hmm which is... It's happening it, regardless. It, it is happening regardless, yeah. And uh, as you said, there are real conspiracies. And mm -hmm. back in the 60s, you know, Black Panthers getting infiltrated by government officials. It, but it was also more historically more disempowered groups. Um, I think that conspiracy theory in general is a symptom of feeling disempowered and isolated and feeling like you have no power to change the system. Um, and in my experience, you know, gr growing up in this world, you know, there are, and there are terms, you know, the powers that be. Um, and there are a lot of kind of, the, the things that I found um, that made me abandon a few of these theories mm -hmm. that I believed when I was younger was the, ongoing nature of them this like 
this idea that someday there will be disclosure about this, but it just have, hasn't happened yet. And there are a lot of people who are on, in conspiracy media who kind of use that as their hook to keep people on the line that, oh, well, I have this insider knowledge and one day there will be disclosure about it and stay tuned and until then buy my supplements, yep. right? And I, I think that one thing that I've noticed that's happened more and more because I agree, like when I was 18 years old, it was a, a lot of, you know, well, it, it was the left that was mm. into to more of this kind of stuff and, and I think that people, I mean, Trump really tapped into white people who have been made less comfortable yep. over the last decade or so. And they're pissed off and they don't understand the system and tapped into that kind of psychology. Um, but I think that what really makes me frustrated about all of it in general is that um, I think that what happens when you get into a, lo a lot of this kind of stuff is rather than becoming more empowered and more engaged in your community and more into these real solutions that you can actually act on, um, you don't vote anymore. You mm -hmm. just, I, I see this all the time that people who are just constantly ranting and raving about w name your conspiracy aren't actually very engaged members of their community um, in the way that the kind of change that they hope hope will come about will actually happen. Does that make sense at all? Of course. No, it's a it's, giant time suck and an energy suck. Like it's like, and, and, but I identify with a lot of these people of because they're not apathetic. Right. That like I, I, I like a lot of conspiracy theorists because they they care and they want to change the world and many of them are coming at it from a very earnest place. I, I identify with those people more than I do with the fucking bro who doesn't give a shit about anything and is just selfish like these people are they they get groups together they want to do something but it's about you know disclosure that the earth is flat not that you know the american legislative exchange council just uh put a new bill together that's gonna affect the environmental policy in their community like exactly and that's what i i want these people to like I know, and it probably just sounds so fucking arrogant, it you know. But like, there's such a better use of these people's time. No, you're absolutely right. And the, the conspiracy theory movement has been commercialized, right? And by people like Alex Jones, I hate to keep bringing him up, but he's a perfect example of people of someone who has an enormous amount of power, who has really um, made advertising a central force of of brainwashing people and making people believe that you know everything is is a right wing. Um, or a left-wing conspiracy, rather. But I totally agree with you. I mean, things that were interesting decades ago that were had roots in reality, you know, like the infiltrate, like COINTELPRO, you know, MKUltra, things like that, uh, Operation Paperclip, um, all of these things, right? You could just look at the open conspiracy of the CIA usurping and undermining, you know, countless countries, the democracies. Anti, the anti-war movement, anti -war the peace movement, movement. Exactly, yeah. infiltrating in these movements. This is this is real. These are realities. And as you mentioned, the corporate consolidation of our power structure today, uh, uh, capitalist hegemony around the world. I mean, all of this is an open conspiracy, right? But once you start getting into the rabbit hole and because of the media control, this is in part why Trump has been so successful because he's 
utilized that distrust of corporate media and made it his own. But that's legitimate. I mean, of course, people don't trust the, the mainstream media. It doesn't speak for them. And so they looked at these alternative sources online. And it's really easy when you when you don't have a proper political education because we're not educated properly in our um, in our schools. And when you're so isolated by design, by the system, you're disenfranchised, you feel like you can't do anything, you feel like you don't have anyone there to um, reach out to, and so you just become more um, solipsistic in these like pockets of society, and then you just kind of turn to the internet. That's why we see a lot of, I think, a lot of mass shootings that are uniquely an American phenomenon. People find the answers online, they become emboldened in these communities that that you know give them some sort of twisted sense of power and entitlement um but that's how conspiracy theory that's how conspiracy theories flourish in the worst ways and that's how people fall into these rabbit holes where they just start believing in fucking everything because once you realize and are open up to wow they're lying to us about this which is really simple to explain why, right? Corporate power, profiteering. And then you're like, what else are they lying to us about? And then you just become susceptible to everything. And there has to be a point where you have to be a critical thinker and say there's, there's a cutoff here of what makes sense and what doesn't. And unfortunately, I, I encounter tons of people like that um, that are just like, oh, no, I, you know, like even... Um, the coffee shop down the street, I heard people talking about how all the mass shootings are staged and how there's nothing we can do about gun violence because it's all fake. And I was like, do you, do you even care about like political corruption? I mean, I've never even heard you guys talking about politics and all of a sudden you went from zero to a hundred about how everything's a hoax. And it was just so odd the way that these happen and are cultivated. And it is very troubling because it, it's a, such a huge waste of energy. And I've realized that more and more because I was there on the cusp of, of being one of these people who could have been sucked down really deep into the rabbit hole so long ago, and I pulled myself completely out of it, and now I'm seeing things in, with a new light, and as I said before, like learning more and more every day. And so it's, it's unfortunate, because it does come from a sense of despair and, and disillusionment and disempowerment, and, and those people could be in the movement today and be empowered and feel like, I mean, once you're in the movement, you that's that's what life is about. That's your community. I mean, that's, the community. that's your sense of purpose. Right. Yeah. Big time. And, you know, I did a, a I went on Sam Tripoli's podcast yeah. the other day. <laughs> I think it's called The Conspiracy Podcast. Yeah, and right. Sam's hilarious. And we had him uh, as a comedian. And he's deep down that that rabbit hole. Right. And it was really interesting to notice where our conversation went, because the point of the Motherfucker Awards this year was to, in a really funny way, um, highlight the relationship between corporations, lobbying groups, and government, and this perverse incentive uh, system of, of corporations um, financing elections, lobbying groups like ALEC then writing the legislature, legislative uh, bills, and then government passing those bills because they got elected by the corporations. Um, and that, to me, is a real interesting conspiracy right, that, right. that makes a lot of sense to me because it's just showing a bunch of bad incentives at, at play. And Sam and I were talking about this, and I said, you know, so you look at, um, for example, Alec won the Plastic Pollution mm -hmm. Award, right? Because they've made plastic bag bans 
illegal in 14 states. It affects 70 million Americans. Um, and ALEC is, many of their members are part of the oil and gas industry. And plastic is made from oil and gas. So that, that makes sense. And that's an interesting conspiracy, right? And like, okay, we're on board there mm-hmm. w- with this. So don't you agree that, that people should then get together and lobby their government to um, get ALEC out of their community? Don't you think that we need um, uh, more regulation, more environmental regulation to protect people from corporations that are polluting, right? Because what, what we see now, right, you know, when the Trump administration, um, more than really any other time, is just him slashing regulations that allow corporations to shift that burden onto the public. Right, so like, okay, so that following that train of logic, I believe that people should get together in their communities and have stronger environmental regulations, so that they don't need to worry about their kids getting asthma or their loved ones getting cancer. Right? Okay, so like, got them all the way up there, but then when it came to any kind of government regulation, right. abandoned. No, nope, right. no, nope, we need to, we need to, because the government is the problem. So we. Don't we can't give any more money or any more power to the government, um, which was that's like this point where I think that in a lot of these in, in many of these groups like they're just so not on board with any new kind of laws mm-hmm. that would protect people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is really hard for me because it's like ah oh, we got so close right. like right. we both care about pollution we <laughs> both like we both hate these corporations but we don't agree that government is actually the mechanism that can um that that can prohibit these corporations from polluting i so, totally agree with that. you and there's the government is the only way and i used to be more anarchistic and libertarian i think when we're as we're talking about this 15 years ago like being confused nope. about that being confused about that and now I realize that government is the only apparatus that we have and you have to actually get involved um, in some sort of social movement to facilitate a change in this way because corporations aren't gonna do it. They are tyrannies. They're run from the top down. They do not care about anything but profit motive. They are literally surviving on making more profits every you know quarterly, whatever, report. And if they don't keep doing that and growing capital, right? And, and doing whatever they can to destroy the environment to get more money and get their shareholders more profits, then they won't survive as a corporation and they'll be fa- they're a failure on paper. You look at government, it's run by corporations now. Corporate lobbyists are, have infiltrated their way into government. That's the problem. Government services, when you look at like something like the post office or the notion of socialized medicine and people are like, oh, that's, that's a good idea. Give the government more power. And it's like, no, of course that's the answer. Government services are notoriously underfunded on purpose. So then these private entities can look at something like the post office and be like, look at it, it's a big failure or the VA and say, look, it's trash. Um, and that, that's why we have to have a private entity. No, it's because they've viciously underfunded these mechanisms. So then they can point to them. Just look at the NHS in Britain right now. They're doing the same thing. The NHS is great. What is the NHS? NHS is the public healthcare system. And because there's not a duplicative ban on private insurance, private insurance has been able to undermine the NHS, slowly eat away at the funds and make it 
um, so that they can point to it and say, look, it's failing. We need to now private privatize our healthcare um, agency. And that's exactly why we need everyone to buy into Medicare for all here. That's why we can't have a private option. Um, that's why the public option is such a bad idea. But it just goes to show you that it's by design, once again, because the corporation is run, because the government is run by corporations and run by these entities that um, don't have humanity's best interest at heart, they will automatically destroy any um, any option to have some sort of public avenue to change the system. And that's why it's just very simple. It's like if you're looking at the libertarian philosophy of having corporations um, battle it out, right, and, and shrinking the size of a government, how is that going to benefit anyone? We know what corporations' incentives are. We know what they've been doing. They've been destroying the planet. You look at government, government's been failing because they've been bought out by corporations. We can change government. We have the capacity to at least do something about this, right? We still vote. It's just that they've they've made us feel like we can't change anything and going back to the whole disempowerment issue. So yeah, I I completely do not agree with that. I, I feel like it's very obvious to me that, that um, government takeover and nationalization of things like PG&E who literally have held California hostage after the wildfires and said, you can't touch us. And they have this monopoly over the industry. They need to be fucking taken over and run by the people. I mean, that's very simple. And that's why I agree with Bernie Sanders' whole approach um, in this election, as I feel like finally he's talking about how we can build a movement to force corporations' hands to do the right thing. Right. Um, the... I I agree, and I think that it's also important to look uh, at a little bit of history when we talk about this. Like, um, there's a great documentary that I recommend to everyone that explains it very well called Requiem for an American Dream. It's the mm -hmm. Noam Chomsky documentary with a series of interviews, and he talks about how in the 60s you had this intense movement of democratization where typically disempowered or apathetic people started organizing. You had the women's movement, you had the environmental movement. This is when the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, um, Endangered Species Act, all these things got um, it put in place. Um, and back then also, taxes on the wealthy were much higher. So you had taxes on things like dividends, but lower taxes, taxes on the wealthy were, were higher, but taxes on the low and middle class were lower. So you, you had less, um, less taxes for products that everyone used, like sales tax, but higher for dividends, as I said. Then the, the response to that by business was very strong. And Chomsky says that was the one thing I really didn't predict was how strong that blowback was going to be in the 70s when all of a sudden now you have business um, and lobbying groups realizing that they could infiltrate government. Um, some of these regulations start to get taken taken back. And then by the 80s, you have the savings and loans crisis, which is largely uh, the, the Reagan savings and loan crisis, which was the result of this lack of regulation over financial institutions. Um, so I guess the point there is that corporations really hate democracy. Yeah. <laughs> um, have there been any lessons that you've learned about communication in journalism or ways that you um, communicate that you find to be very effective? Coming from the place like we just said, like that you don't know everything and that you can admit that you you don't know everything. Yeah. You know, and... I mean, one thing that I've learned over the years is that you don't have to answer 
questions that you don't want to and that you right. can kind of turn into something that you feel comfortable, you know, pivoting into something that you do feel comfortable talking about. So that's something that I've learned, um, maybe not as skilled as I would like to be about it. But yeah, no, it's, it's tough. And I do a lot of podcasts, so I'm more, I, I'm less concerned about, you know, really just concisely pinpointing like soundbite type things. So I'm more free flow. And I think people appreciate that. I think it's it's less about caring too much about making mistakes, you know, and just and and trying it. And that's what I encourage people who are looking to get into journalism or looking to get into media is just like put yourself out there. Mm. And it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to not do everything perfectly. We're all learning and we're all growing. Um, but I think it's important if you care about these issues to just try to become part of the chorus and become part of the conversation. Mm. We have to use our privilege. We are very privileged as American citizens, right? And that's and especially because our government is directly sponsoring the things that I try to bring to light in Empire Files. You're bringing to light in the Motherfucker Awards and other things that you do. We have to, right? We have to because people in Gaza are dying to tell the world what they're experiencing and how dare us not at least use our privilege and use our voice to to amplify that message which is why we did Gaza Fights for Freedom and which is why I, I do the work that I do because um, I it, it doesn't just stop and start with Gaza. I mean, this is about the Yemen genocide going on. This is about the drone wars, the innocent people living under the boot of, of U.S. empire and under our bombs because my empathy extends beyond the borders of this country. And what I don't understand is if you care about kids in cages, which you should, why does it stop there? Why don't you care about kids in cages in Gaza and, in, in, you know, in Palestine? And why don't you care about kids being bombed with our tax dollars and from the same corporations that are essentially pushing these politicians on us, pushing these endless wars and the pretense of protecting our freedom, the war on terrorism? Why does it stop and start with the borders of this country? And that that really bothers me because as we were talking about the integration and the struggles that have become linked around the world, right? The world is becoming much smaller, right? And with the refugee crisis and immigration and all the stuff, it's like it's all directly connected from policies of governments that, that have a direct tie. Like, for example, I was interviewing someone from Cameroon yesterday and um, for Cameroon what? for Empire Files for, nice. for an episode about the U.S. presence in Africa. And he was saying that Cameroon citizens are the top 10 asylum seekers in the U.S. And we don't really hear about like African nationals coming to seek asylum. And a lot of people are just like, well, why don't you just, you know, stay in your country? These people are fleeing death and violence. They have no choice. And especially when you look at, OK, why are they fleeing death and violence? And Cameroon has been ruled since 1982 by a military dictatorship. Some guy named, some guy named Paul Bia who is directly propped up by the U.S. government. And the U.S. military has been in Cameroon for the last 40 years training their military to commit brutal human rights atrocities. And 5,000 people have died in the last just three years alone, civilians, innocent civilians. And so while the U.S. is there claiming to fight terrorism, these Cameroon citizens are being called the terrorists because they're trying to stand up for their rights. And so they're fleeing the violence and persecution coming to the U.S. and then they're denied asylum and trapped in ICE detention. And so there's this confluence of the military-industrial complex with the prison-industrial complex. 
going back to the profiteering of our, you know, the intrinsic nature of our system. And it's so dystopic and bizarre and the inability to understand how these things all connect around the world and the inability to kind of extend empathy and solidarity to our brothers and sisters who are suffering, especially when it comes directly from our policies. And so, yeah, we have to care. We have to care and we have to do what we can do because our privilege is enormous and because we have the voice and the means and the access. And that's almost all we can do, right? We can, we have to do what we can do and we, we can't, you know, it it seems like it's not enough, but if we all did what we can do, I think that things would change pretty rapidly, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who just feel like they can't do anything or they just simply don't care or they're just tied up in their own stress and problems. And, um, if we only could kind of widen our perception to understand that, Um, We're all connected here and everything triggers, (laughs) triggers, uh, you know, something else happening and and everything stems from the heart of the empire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the energy metric. That's what we were talking, you know, like how do you, how do you do what you can in life that gives you energy while also feeling like you're doing something meaningful and a part of a cause that is worthwhile, um, and I think that that's where, that's where art comes in. Mm-hmm. Like you're, and I, I hope that you get to incorporate more and more of your art into your work, uh, as you move forward. I, I think that that's a great thing to prioritize and you can get some of your paintings at abbymartin.com. Yeah. Abbymartin.org. Thank you very much for that plug, Kyle. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get more involved. Um, and I'm really excited about doing that in the future because it's been it's been something that's been missing for my work and it really helps me calms me and invigorates me so sweet stoked (laughs) thanks for sitting (laughs) down with me thanks for having me kyle um yeah it's uh, always a pleasure uh chatting with you and once again i appreciate you helping with the motherfucker awards uh from day one it just means a huge amount yeah one last comment about alec i mean think about how many people know about alec now Alec is designed to kind of live in obscurity, right? Alec Alexson, the founder of Alec. So just that alone, spreading the information and consciousness about what Alec is and what it does really is like so important. And that was why it was really great that you nominated them for so many categories this year because they really are fucking evil. Yeah, they're like the Daniel Day Lewis (laughs) of motherfuckers. They're nominated in four categories. Yep. Yep. So. Yeah. Well, thanks. It was, uh, it was cool. And, you know, just as, uh, uh, one, I don't know if you got to see at the after party, but we had equal citizens, which is Lawrence mm-hmm. Lessig's organization, um, educating people about democracy dollars. So democracy dollars are, uh, do you know about this? It's really cool. So it's, um, this, this system where, um, people can get, they get, a, and they've just implemented it in Seattle where pe- every citizen gets a hundred dollar voucher that they could give to four different candidates, 25 bucks each, to help finance elections so that um, these uh, politicians aren't reliant, as reliant on corporate dollars. Because since Citizens United, um, it's it's, it's very difficult for citizens to have the same voice as corporations, but the chances of getting Citizens, Citizens United revoked is very small. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of a way to fight it with a new solution. And it already has shown, like there was a, um, 
uh, in there was a bill that Amazon wanted to push in Seattle that then or a law that then didn't get passed because of the these new democracy dollars. Oh wow! And they're implementing it in New York as well. But it's a it's a pretty cool way to kind of get to the heart of campaign finance in a productive way. That's so, amazing. Yeah. So equal citizens, I recommend everyone check that That's out. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Abby. <laughs> That's our show, everybody. I'm going to play out the song called Citadel by Oppo. These guys listen to the podcast and they sent me some music. If you're a musician and you want your tunes played at the end of the show, email it to info at kyle.surf. I'll link to your band page in the show note and se- show notes and send some new audience your way. That's info at kyle.surf. That's also where you can send me those groovy little voice memos that I play so often. Thank you everyone who donates on Patreon. I rely on people like you to keep this podcast going. You can just click the link below here and donate even just a few bucks a month if you get value out of this show. And if you can't donate, don't worry about it. Just share the podcast with a friend. Give it a little rating on iTunes. Giving ratings on iTunes actually helps massively. So takes 20 seconds for you to do and is a big help to me if you want to hear more from abby martin you can click through the archives and go to episode number 111 where we talk about entirely different stuff and if you want to hear even more you can go to her podcast media roots radio which is super califragilistic expialidocious and don't forget to read matt taibbi's book hate inc it's one of the best books i've ever read and just want to share it with all of you That's it for now. I hope that you are all having a fantastic day. Get out in the water, whatever body of water you're closest to. Give someone you love a high five and keep breathing because life is temporary and we're all alive. So hooray. Have a great day, everyone. See you soon.
Separation. Separation. 